0: Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominating their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to have you back for another episode. And today you are in for a real treat. Real quickly, though, if you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and also share the show with some friends, family, colleagues, and coworkers, too. Before we get into today's chat, I just want to say that we recently had the 2023 NFL Draft, and I'm so incredibly proud of all of the guys that I know who were either drafted or signed as undrafted free agents. The important thing to remember is that everyone's path to the NFL and in the league is different, and now the work is about to begin. The door is open, and now it's up to each and every one of these guys to move the ball. Okay. You're about to hear my conversation with Wesley Walker. Wesley is a retired NFL wide receiver who played for 13 seasons in the NFL, all with the New York Jets. And speaking of NFL drafts, Wesley was drafted in the second round of the 1977 NFL draft as the 33rd overall pick. And on the show, Wesley discusses his experience on draft day, his time in the league, how he recognized the importance of education, and much more. I absolutely love this chat with Wesley, and I know you will too. You ready? Let's go. Wesley, it is so great to have you inside the huddle with us today. How are you?
1: I'm doing fine. I'm glad you gave me a call, and I'm pleased to be with you.
0: Well, I appreciate you being willing to come on the show. I'm really looking forward to our chat. You're just one of those guys that's got a lot of positive energy, and I love your perspectives, and so I'm looking forward to you having some great conversation and great insights that you share with us. So I last saw you, it was Super Bowl weekend in Phoenix, Arizona. I saw you at the Taste of the NFL. What is that experience? I know you've been doing it for a number of years. What is that experience like for you?
1: Well, I feel like I'm a newbie. I had a friend, one of my teammates, Freeman McNeil, who used to do it for many, many years. I've always heard about it, and I just happened to be in Miami on vacation when his friend who goes down there with him, invited my wife and I. And it was really nice because the, at the time, because they kind of changed the format, you know, they had different players, Hall of Famers, you go to a table, get their autograph, take pictures with them. And then you taste the food, you go to different booths and whatnot too. But it was nice seeing friends that I played against or with or Hall of Famers or so one comes to mind, Tony Dorsett, who, I finished second behind him for Rookie of the Year. And it's just nice to see guys that you've played with or you've admired over the years. And I've been doing it the last three years. And I was fortunate. It was in Arizona, where I just moved to. And I was glad to be able to participate. The NFL has always done a very nice job with different charities. And this happened to be donated to a foundation for the students who are involved in the culinary services. and. I had a good time just meeting with them, and I'm a big proponent of education. That's really how I became successful, not only as an athlete, but just in life in general. So the NFL does a a really, really great job. And uh, I'm really thankful to Freeman that I was being able to get involved. And there's some other people that helped run it, getting the athletes that I've been able to meet. So they've invited me the last two years, and I've been able to take my wife, my daughter, my son in law the last two years. And it's been great. And it's been nice to go to different stadiums and share the experience with other people. And you you end up meeting a lot of nice people like yourself. So, and that's why I'm here on the show. I would have never met you otherwise.
0: Yeah. And I think that the NFL, you talked about the impact and how they partner with great organizations. And that's one thing that I'm really big on when I like to talk about moving the ball. It's not just about what you do in your career, but it's really about how you serve others and the impact you make beyond yourself. And so this experience, the Taste of the NFL, they partnered with an organization called Gen Youth for the 2023 Taste of the NFL. And I really liked, I mean, they in terms of impact, they had a collective impact of $1.8 million in 100 million school meals that they were able to deliver to what is called food insecure students, who are students who don't necessarily know where they're going to get all their meals. And so I just think, I mean, it's such a great way to continue to make an impact in the community.
1: Well, I'm here to serve, and you just touched on some things that you're helping others. And I often wonder why I've been put on this earth. And I was watching this movie with Denzel Washington and the Equalizer. And in the beginning, there's a comment by Einstein. And he said, two of the most important days of your life is when you're born and when you find out why. And I've questioned that over over the years. And then when I look at my life over the years, having the opportunity to not only play in the NFL, after my career or getting into education with people because it was so important to me in my life and I also help people here and since my career and I'm here to serve others so I think that's what we've been put on this earth by God and I'm able to do that and and thank God the NFL does a lot of different charities and, and when it comes down to it you're here to serve other people to help others and that's what we do.
0: Absolutely. And it's such a rewarding feeling knowing that you are able to make an impact in a positive way and help other people. I think most people are wired that way, that they like to contribute and add value. And there are some people that are all about themselves on the earth, but most people really like to serve and make a difference for other people.
1: Absolutely. And there's an old saying where you if you just help one person, and sometimes I didn't realize that as an educator and and how you can influence people. And uh, I remember I had a teacher reach out to me because I have a handicap that a lot of people didn't know about it. I was born blind in my left eye. And so he heard a coach Madden from the Raiders talking on the radio about athletes that had disabilities. So he ended up writing me and he wrote this letter. And I actually read the letter, called him that same day I received the letter. And he was in shocked because he was at school when he got the message. And then I ended up speaking with the son afterwards. And he was nine and a half at this time. And we're still friends to this day. And Andy is now in his 30s and he's graduated. He went to Cal. One of the reasons he went to Cal was because of me, And I had no idea what impact that would. I would do that for anyone. And I've done that for other people. But his family actually flew me out to California for his graduation. They threw this big party just to thank me. And he's had this speech, just how important just growing up and the things that he had met. And I have letters from his teachers or things that he's wrote about me that would have you in tears. And It's something that a lot of athletes do that you go by the wayside. You don't hear about Like I have another teammate, Marty Lines, who does a a wonderful job with his charity with underprivileged and terminally ill kids. You don't get enough attention with that. And you hear about some of the negative things that athletes do, but you don't hear enough about the good things. But the fact that you can make an impact on someone's life and when you see it firsthand or have a part in it, you're like floored. And it makes you feel good. I do it because I care. And that's what a lot of athletes do. That's why I think God put me on this earth. And we can do it through your athletic ability, whether you played in the NFL or education-wise. And I became a teacher in education. And that's one thing I'm very proud of. And I've touched a lot of people. Matter of fact, I just got inducted to this Hall of Fame in California. I just went to this weekend, the CIF. It's the California Scholastic football situation in California. And I was so happy and proud. And matter of fact, John Elwood was there because he's from Granada Hills and that's where they hosted it. He's in this Hall of Fame. You look at the, the people that you can influence and it's just been a positive influence for me to be able to help others. And I can't say enough about when you do something in a positive direction and you know you've made an impact on somebody's life, it's just a great, great feeling you've been able to affect people in a positive way.
0: For sure. And you talk about how there's a lot of athletes that are focused on serving communities, making an impact. And I know a number of guys who are currently in the league or student athletes through NIL now that are using their funds to really make a difference in their platform because social media has grown over the years. Obviously, it wasn't around when you were playing in the league, but it allows people to have more visibility into what these athletes are doing. And so when they are looking to make an impact in the community, their reach is even farther for support as well for their initiatives. I'll give you an example. A member of the current draft class here in 2023, Emil Ekiyor Jr., he played at the University of Alabama. You know that I'm an Alabama alum. And Emil, what he did was he was on a mission to, he partnered with an organization called I think it's Good Samaritans. I know there's a word I'm missing, but anyway, it was to provide shoes to 20,000 kids in the community. And so uh, I really love that he was using his name and his platform and his social media presence to bring visibility, to raise more funds so that they can get more shoes out to the kids.
1: And that's something that's very important. There's so many things that are out there that people are going through that they don't have. And my wife and I, we do a A service for families. And before we left New York, we helped the elderly, whether it was in hospice or things that they needed. And you just have a very special place in your heart to help people. We're doing that for families out here that don't have much. I've been in houses with a a family that is husband and wife that are blind, and they have young kids that need help. And we can offer our services. And we do it for a lot of people out here for the children. And it's just a nice feeling. But A lot of people just don't know, just like the situation you're talking about, there's a lot of things out there that people are deprived of and they don't get a chance to have the benefits of some of the things that we have and we take for granted. And if we can kind of help those people, whether it's kids or families, to try to help them in any way, that's always a positive solution to try to help others.
0: Absolutely. Now, you mentioned this young man that had gone to Cal. You went to Cal as well. You're from California, from Carson. I used to live in Orange County, which is not too far from Carson. And you were setting records in high school, All-American, went to Cal, had a great career there. What was your experience at Cal Berkeley?
1: I loved it. And I try to tell kids, there's a lot of athletes that have the talent that I've been around and they weren't smart in the classroom, cutting class, not getting the grades. And I'm thankful that I had great parents who taught me the value of the education. And so my goals throughout my life in school was to be the best student I possibly could. I wanted to be the best athlete, but I wanted to be the best student athlete. And consequently, I received good grades. And And it was important when, you know, all through I had this discipline through elementary school to junior high school and high school was very important because I didn't know how valuable that was going to be. But because my grades were good and I had the athletic talent, I got recruited to every major university in the country and I could have went anywhere I wanted to. I didn't know I was going to end up at Cal. Cal is a good academic school and It was in California. I I went all over taking trips. I didn't want really cold weather and I wasn't sure where I was going to go. But when I went up to Berkeley, it was just so different. And I was like a black hippie growing up. I thought I was going to be the next Jimi Hendrix. I love people and it just fit my personality. And I enjoyed it. And I wasn't there just for the football aspect of it. I was there for the education. And I'm just blessed that I had that ability to get to college, do something with that, And then hopefully do something with your life after your career is over. And that's what I'm trying to do now. But I couldn't tell you the value of an education being at Berkeley and the experiences that I had. And I wouldn't have it any other way, even though we didn't win. We had one great year where we led the league in passing and rushing. I was around some great assets who had gotten drafted in the pros. And we, we had a chance to get to the Rose Bowl. And we ended up tying UCLA. For the championship, and because they beat us and had the better record, we weren't able to get to the Rose Bowl. And the sad thing about it is that we led the league in rushing and passing, and we didn't get a bowl bid, and so we lost out. And then my senior year, I had a very serious injury that cut my career short as a you know athlete at Cal. And I was still very fortunate to get drafted in the NFL, but things didn't go as well as planned. But that's why I went to Berkeley, because as an athlete, there's injuries involved and you never know when that's going to be. And you have to have some education to fall back on. So that's what I did. But I couldn't ask for a better education, a better place to be. And I never thought I'd leave Northern California. And lo and behold, I'm here in Arizona. But I certainly enjoyed it.
0: Well, you're not in a cold climate, unlike in New York, where you played your entire career. So at least you're still in some warm climate here in retirement.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, it's not as bad as one would think being in New York. And a matter of fact, they didn't even get snow this year. And we've had our snowstorms, and it can get cold. But I'll tell you what, I've never had heat like this for an extended period of time. And I don't care about dry heat, humidity, it gets hot here. And it's already starting to rise now. And I think we're going to have record temperatures this Sunday. So there's times where I want to kind of get away to a cooler climate. And I will do that. But uh, I really enjoy it here also. It's nice and clean. I'm here with closer to my family out in California. But I go back and forth to New York because I have my three kids. I have six grandkids out there. And I'm actually heading back there May 20th for my oldest sons who went to West Point. He's having his. 40th birthday. And I'm looking forward to that to see the kids and enjoy the bunch of friends that I haven't seen in a while. And I love Long Island. I love New York, but I'm heading to New Jersey where all my three kids are.
0: Happy early birthday him. Now, we recently had the NFL draft, and it's a time when so many young men are waiting to hear their names called so that they can begin a new chapter in their life as a professional athlete. Hopefully, you've been a part of that process. You were drafted second round in the 1977 NFL draft. What was your draft experience like?
1: Well, I was disappointed. Number one, my senior year, and this is very sad, too, because I came off a game I had almost 300 yards, and I had my coaches, what bowl games you want to go to, senior bowl, Japan bowl, all these East, West Coast game. And lo and behold, I get hurt against USC and not knowing I needed surgery. And uh, I remember I thought I was just bruised up, and I actually was at home visiting my mom before I came back up to Berkeley, and there was a big article on the paper. I, I'm probably going to have to have surgery, which I did. And I remember being so disappointed because you want to be in the first round or you get hurt and that's always going to be a discredit against you. And I remember the Jets, when they would send people out or a lot of teams would look at me, they kept saying, I was still going to be a first round draft choice. But the Jets said, I was going to be the first round draft choice, but till I hurt my knee. So I was really concerned about that and I still worked at it. And that's why I'm a big promoter of promoting education because I knew Injuries occurred, and I really never had a real serious one thinking about surgery. You see it with other people, but that's why you get your education. You need that to fall back on. So when the draft was started, I'm waiting for the call because normally when you're in the first round, you're going to get this early call, and and I had everybody and their mother calling me at home, and it wasn't anybody from any teams. But then I got a call from New Orleans, a matter of fact, and I was excited because they had just drafted my teammate Chuck Muncie from the previous year. And they said, we're just starting the second round. We're going to draft you. And I was excited. And when I get the call, I'm thinking it's New Orleans. And it's this lady, Connie Nicholas, uh, who I'm friendly with today. And it was the Jets. And then I was shocked. And Connie worked there for probably over 40 years. She's the first woman scout they've ever had. And she's a real good friend of mine. We still talk to, to each other. And she's a big, big draft person. She gets all excited when the Jets are playing or when the team is getting ready to start. But it was so different. You just would receive a phone call. And some of the first rounders, they would have you come into New York City. It was never as big as it's gotten. And now they move to different cities. And and I had the opportunity when it was in New York to announce the second round draft choice in 2012. And you go in this big motorcade with a lot of the first round draft choice or potential draft choices. And they're in these big SUVs and most of the kids, they were were worrying about earrings and what they were wearing. And you hear them talking about all these things that really don't matter in life. And I'm thinking, man, they have no idea what's in store for them. And they should be thinking about what are you going to do from a business sense and actually finishing school and make sure if you get drafted, you know what to do with the money that you're going to receive, or you may not even have that opportunity. You may get hurt. So but they were focused on the wrong things. But it was a red carpet treatment. Everybody's dressed to the nines. Even I was dressed to the nines. And you get out on this thing and you are greeted by all the press and doing interviews. And it's this big, big scene. But back when I was playing, it was just a simple phone call that you would receive unless you're a first round draft pick where they have you coming in. But it's just so much money and the business aspect. If you look at it now, and they'll have the families and different housing wherever they're located. It's it's just a big thing. And it's got to be a nice feeling. And and I just remember not getting that call because it was just it would be nice to be in the first round and you're getting all this uh, attention and whatnot. It's just a a great, great feeling. But now it's changed where it's really more of a show now and and a business show. And uh, I know the commissioner very well. and, And the commissioner, he was an intern with the Jets, Roger Goodell, when I was playing. And and he's a personal friend, and and, and it's nice to see how things have evolved from the NFL and where people are coming from and people that you know and where they've gotten to, but it's a big, big show that they put on, and it's nice, and I've always liked it. Always, this is something that you dream about and would love to be a part of or have that experience, and some people don't get that experience, and I was lucky just to go there to introduce the draft choice, but I would have loved to have been one of those players who were getting introduced to the media, being on stage, walking the red carpet to be introduced like that. But that's changed. They just didn't have it like that when I was playing.
0: And something else that you and I have talked separately about is everybody's got their own path in the league and the longevity of their career as a professional athlete is not dependent on the round that they were drafted in. So we've talked about how there's first round guys that have not made it very far. We've had undrafted free agents that have gone very, very far or sixth, seventh round guys. So everybody has a way to get into the league, but staying in the league is a chore in itself. And there are some people that know how to do it. Well, it's not just about the talent, as you know, it is a business too, and you are a professional. But so just because you're not first round doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful either.
1: Absolutely not. And I think most athletes know that things happen. It doesn't mean that you cannot make it. And I've always been told I couldn't do this. I was too small and being blind and couldn't catch. And I had all this speed, but can you catch a football? There are a lot of things like that. It doesn't matter as long as you get the opportunity. And it's a shameful when you come in with all this popularity and you've You're drafted high and then you don't make it. And that's got to be a big disappointment. And teams do make mistakes like that. I don't understand how that works sometimes. And I was listening to Tim Tebow. He was at our church where I go to and he was doing like this little interview with the pastor in the church. And you have these goals. And here's a guy and he's a typical example who won the Heisman Trophy. And then things never did work out. He went with a couple of teams, didn't really make it. And then he actually tried out as a tight end and didn't make it, but he had a different calling in life. I don't know what calling God has for all of us, but sometimes it don't work. Sometimes it works. Look at Tom Brady, same thing. There's a lot of diamonds in the rough and you just have to know what you have to do from a standpoint of your ability, how to get there. And I think a lot of young people just don't know what it really takes to get there. And even myself, knowing the talent that you have, you have to work at it. And to get to the Super Bowl is so tough, and I don't think I even knew how difficult it would be. And some guys never get that opportunity, and you get close. And there's a lot of great players who have played this game who've almost got there, and it's just so much that goes into it. And some people have that luxury of getting there, and some people don't. And a lot of it's health. Some of it's being with the right team. Some of it's just being having the opportunity And if you don't get those things that kind of fall in place, sometimes you can't reach your goal. I have to be honest, there's a lot of times, like I was lucky to come in starting right away. But if you're not utilized properly, you can't reach some of your goals. And some of those things are out of your control, depending on the philosophy of the team, the coaches and direction. And some people can't see the abilities that you have. And I think out of all the coaches that I ever had, I had two really coaches that could see certain things in me and brought me to a level. And one of them happened to be my high school coach and one happened to be on a pro level. That's only two coaches out of 13 years of me playing in the NFL and in my career. And so if you don't have somebody that sees that in you and don't put you in positions where you need to be and you have to know yourself what you need to do to be prepared to get there, And that's what a lot of kids don't really know. And and things have changed where they have a lot of programs that you can be in shape to get there and have to continue to do and work harder every year. But a lot of it, when I was coming up, we didn't have those things. So you didn't know. So sometimes you're doing yourself a disservice, not getting all the information you can to be better, but you don't know this at the time. And I can look back on my career now and say, I wish I would have had this. I wish I could have done this. And you would do things a lot different. But that's just a part of the process. And I'm still blessed of the compliments that I've been able to make in life. But I also look at things that it could have been better. And I look at people that I played against that have gone to the Hall of Fame. And they weren't as good as I was. But they're in a better situation because of health or being in a situation with the teams that really utilize them in a proper way to get their stats up. And if it would have been differently where you get the same opportunities, it could be better for you. But that's just the business that you have to deal with. And you just got to go with what is thrown at you. But I'm still positive that I've made a a positive influence when I was playing.
0: Well said. And yes, you absolutely did. You played from 77 to 1989, 13 years, like you mentioned. And something I want to chat with you about is 1978. So you led the league in receiving yards that year. So as I like to say, you weren't just moving the ball, you were dominating the game. You were a pro bowler then as well as in 1982. What were you doing? You were also named the New York Jets MVP in 78. What were you doing to be at the top of the game and really moving the ball?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I didn't do anything differently. And I just wish I had the knowledge to know what I needed to do from a health standpoint. And and those things weren't even available to us. You're just doing things on your own, plus what you do as coaches when they're preparing you to go do that. And I wish every year could have been like that. And I was actually in 1979 ahead of my place because I think I averaged 24 yards, over 24-something yards per catch. But the following year, I was averaging 25-point-something a catch. I was having this stellar run, and then I get hurt, hurt my knee again, Knock me out for the rest of the year. So that keeps you from reaching some of your goals. But the bottom line is it could have been better. It just happened to be things worked out for me. It could have went the other way because our starting quarterback, who's an Alabama guy, Richard Todd, had gotten hurt. And this kid, Matt Robinson, stepped in for him. And he played lights out and, you know, I ended up going to the Pro Bowl with him. And I always used to say, I don't care who's back there, just throw me the ball. I was never cocky like Keyshawn Johnson, throw me the damn ball. I wish I would have been. It's about opportunity. And I was only presented with a few opportunities that I was able to make to give me that year to go to the Pro Bowl and to become MVP. And that's an awesome, awesome feeling. I just wish I could have done that more multiple times, but a lot of times because of injury. And that's probably been the most important thing that really put a kilter on my performances in, in my career. And I think about the games that I missed, I probably would have doubled my numbers, even though I wasn't getting the catches that a lot of receivers were, were getting. And that was frustrating. I was very frustrated being in New York Jets because I would look around the league, even during the time, I think the most ball I ever caught in one season was 62 And when I had my teammate, Altoon would catch close to 90 or 100 balls. And I just wanted to be able to do that. And it's all about opportunity. And I didn't get those opportunities, but I only could take what I could get. So you only can do what you can do, but you want to be the best at what you do. And that's all I try to do.
0: So another game I want to talk to you about happened in the 1986 season. You had a great game against the Dolphins. It was a four touchdown game. For you, actually, you had the game went into overtime. You caught the game-winning touchdown as well. What was that game like? Crazy, I'm sure, but how did it feel for you?
1: Oh, that, that was another wild time. But I'll tell you, the beginning of that game, I was angry. I had a strain groin during the week. So they didn't know if I, I was going to even play. And we were in the game, and I swear – I mean, the first quarter is going by. They're not really using me. And I actually told my backup, Kurt Song, who I loved to death and just had a just a great respect for him, even to back me up because I'd missed some practice time and he had to fill in for me and then I'd become the hero. But I was very angry at Joe Walton at the time because he, he was our head coach and coordinator at the time. And I'm like just begging him to run certain plays or whatever. But I remember – Towards the second quarter and towards the end, we had this one play action play, and it worked like clockwork, and it was easy touchdown. And then I'm begging him to try to go for this long, deep ball because that's what I was known for. And And I always felt I could run short patterns. I was a good route runner. I had good hands. Now, I don't care. I couldn't be a, a, a good slot receiver. I just wanted the opportunities. But I was begging him to throw this one deep ball, and Miami happened to be in the right coverage. But Kenny O'Brien was able to stick the ball in between the two ven- defenders, and I broke a tackle, went for my second touchdown. But I had to beg the coach to do that. And I actually use this as a motivational tool because that was a game that I thought I may not play because of my groin, and I was very frustrated. I was ready to quit. We go into the second half, and I can't believe all the back and forth. It was a battle between Kenny O'Brien and Dan Marino, and even Kenny O'Brien outdueled Dan Marino. And I I have so much respect for Kenny O'Brien. I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks I've ever played with. Well, we finally get down. I forgot it was a minute and something to go, and we're driving down. And there were some tremendous plays by Johnny Hector. We did this. Hook and lateral and he lateral to Mickey Shooter. I tied in to, to move, keep moving the ball. Mickey Shooter made a, even a great play to get out of bounds. Broke so many tackles just to move the ball to stop the clock. And he got out of bounds with five seconds left. And I wasn't even in the game because we I used to run in to do the substitution with Kurt Zone And Kenny O'Brien comes over to the sidelines and tells me to get in. And we were running this play that we've worked on several times and we knew exactly what we wanted to do. And again, Miami was in the right coverage and somehow with no time left, Kenny O'Brien sticks the ball in. I catch it over the middle, about four guys, five guys around me, and it sticks right in my hand. And I thought, Oh my God, cause I could get knocked out or I dropped the ball and the ball just stuck. And to this day I said, it was like, it wasn't me. It was like God. It was like a dream. And, it just stuck right there in between all these guys. And we tied the game up with no time. And then we started moving the ball. And actually, Michael Harper on the kickoff fumbled the ball. And they could have gave it to Miami, but they gave it back to us. We were moving the ball, running, passing. And then they threw this one long bomb to me, Kenny O'Brien, six in it. And we win the game in overtime. But the moral of the story is that I was angry. I was ready to give up, which you shouldn't do. And it's being selfish as a player, but I just know my talents and what I could bring to the table. And when you don't feel like you have people that really believe in you that way, and where I have to beg the coach to call something, and they should know you. But I was on the receiving end of that touchdown to win the game in overtime, and I thank Kenny O'Brien. And, I, and when they asked me who should be the MVP, I said it should have been Kenny O'Brien, and they gave it to me. And there's no feeling like that in the world. Hey, with no time left on in the crowd and. I can't even tell you how great that feeling. And again, you wish all the games were like that where you're the star. And I've had many of them, uh, just not enough of them. But I will always remember that. But it wasn't Wesley Walker. It was my teammates around me and Kenny O'Brien and the people that made certain plays to get us to where we needed to be. That's why we won. It wasn't just Wesley Walker. It was us collectively as a team.
0: Well, as I always say, it takes a team to move the ball. Absolutely. As you look back on the 13 seasons you had in the NFL, what were some of the biggest takeaways or things you appreciated from having that experience?
1: Well, I, I think it taught me discipline, a lot of perseverance, because you you have a lot of ups and downs, a lot of confidence that you have to really believe in yourself, even when people do not. And I learned that at a very early age. And. I always had a lot of speed. So a lot of speed guys, they feel can't catch the football. So that was always a knock. So I always had to prove to people that I could catch the football. And that comes with work ethic. I have a lot of doctors, ophthalmologists that would look in my eyes. How the hell? You don't have depth of so We can't figure out how you can catch the ball. You work at it. You do things. I'm I'm blessed by God. and You still have to work on the little things, whether it's getting your head around, getting focused, practicing, work ethic. And it's also, you got to recognize you have people around you and that's the team thing, camaraderie. And I just wish we had a lot more of that with each other because back when I was playing, we weren't as close as we should be. And what I think with winning teams, you have to hang out together. You have to be together. There was a lot of separatism on our team and I wish we were together. And I was not brought up that way, being from California, the way I was brought up, the way I think, going to Berkeley. But a lot of people have their own cliques and we weren't together as a team. And that's what taught me where you can have more success by being together, playing together. And that's what the team is really all about. But if I had one thing that really came out of it, it taught me perseverance. You can never give up a lot of discipline and work ethic and the fact that it takes a team to be successful. And that's meaning everybody working together, not only the players, but organization wise from the top to bottom. And that's what it really takes to be successful. And I just hope the Jets can one day accomplish that. And they did it in 1969, but we've been waiting too long.
0: Super Bowl three. Yep. Earl Christie is another fantastic individual, like yourself, by the way, who's got amazing energy, lots of positivity, too.
1: I, I love him. I was so disappointed I missed his 80th birthday party his wife threw for him. It was amazing. And I had a chance to send a little video to Thank him for just being the person he is and what he's brought and just a gentleman. And to me, that's what it's all about with people. You can meet a lot of guys and some guys are just not that nice. I don't know if it's the money, the power. And, and I hope that people will say, I've never changed. I'm no different than you, Jen. And I'm just a human being. I just happen to be able to play in the National Football League. I'm no different than anybody on this planet.
0: Something when you mentioned Earl, I really noticed the first time I met him, just how much energy he has. And there are people in this world, the great leaders are the ones that get other people energized around them. And he is somebody that does that. In my first book, Move the Ball, I talk about how great leaders have the ability to energize the people around them. I have this acronym called MAD PRIDE, and the E stands for energy that energizes. and Earl Christie, with, in his 70s, he just has, I, I hope when I'm 70, I have that much energy because he definitely, he's got a lot of it.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to be, hopefully I'll be alive I'll, I'll, two years. I'm going to be 68 in May. So I got two years. I hope I have that energy. And I remember when I first met him and it had to be maybe three or four years ago. And I really didn't know who Earl was, but they have a lot of Legends weekends and I had to do a Q and a with some of the fans and he was up there, but he was so gracious. And it's like, I have known him for years. Joe Namath is the same way, but he's always positive. And one of the things he's really into is the faith, And I'm a big faith believer that makes it even better, but I don't think I've ever seen him down. He's always positive. And I think it was not this year because they had a big party down in Miami. But it was a year before I, I I was down there visiting and I was with a friend who got tickets to the, the Miami Jet game. And so we were there and I'm walking around the state. And I thought I saw him and then he was with some people, but he didn't really see me. And I wasn't sure it was him. And then next thing I know, he comes around. and He's got his jersey on and he brings a guy over that has an 85 jersey on, Walker jersey. And he happened to see me. And I said, Earl, I thought that was you, but I wasn't sure. So he brought this guy over and we had just a wonderful time and just one of the nicest guys you ever wanna meet. And just a gentleman, he's a fine person and I like his enthusiasm and you're right about that. He's just a gem of a person.
0: Yes, he is. So Wesley, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna have some fun. I'm gonna ask you some fun questions. We'll be right back. Hey, have you moved the ball in your own life today? If you're working toward your dream job, a new personal record, or a bigger salary, you need a plan to consistently make progress. That's why I wrote Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. These books are packed with strategy and easy-to-implement tips on gaining clarity of your goals, developing your own personalized playbook for success, pushing your boundaries of comfortability, and really elevating and dominating. Go to www.dominateandmove.com and enter code DOMINATE2023 for a 20% discount on the bundle. And all books are signed copies as well. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, Wesley, we are back. And I want to run you through my two-minute drill. Are you ready? Yes, ma'am. All right, here we go. First question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? I would
1: like to think positive and friendly.
0: All great words. What is one thing that most people don't know about you?
1: Most people, even though the just didn't publicize it, and I'll be honest with you, they didn't know I was blind. I'm just blessed by God that I was able to do what I did. But a lot of people didn't know that. Even when I went in for, when I got drafted, i go in for the physical. They were worried about my knee. Guy they drafted ahead of me, number one, Marvin Powell, had loose knees. The owner was livid. I got a guy with loose knees that drafted number one. You're telling me a receiver with a bad knee and he's blind on top of it. And that's how the reason why the combines got started, so they can kind of evaluate people for injuries. So they have this whole combine, but that's how it got started. But a lot of people, I kept it here, didn't know I was born. I probably should have publicized it a lot more just so I can help others with disability.
0: Would you rather be the world champion of your sport or the CEO of a billion-dollar company
1: and why? I would love to be in business and running a billion-dollar company but I'll be honest with you, I would rather be a world champion, Super Bowl champion. And I know friends that I played against. And I can't even watch the ceremony afterwards because you played this game for such a long time. I've gone to the Hall of Fame and I know teammates that I played against or guys I have played in in college. And you think that should be you. But I couldn't imagine holding up that Lombardi Trophy on national television, playing in the Super Bowl of the world with all these people and saying you're a Super Bowl champion. So that's something I would give anything if I had to do it over again. That's what I would want to be.
0: What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to?
1: My wife bought me this book probably two years ago. It's a long book. It's A Promised Land by Barack Obama. But that's a book. I got 200 pages left and I'm almost done.
0: If you could play any song at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be?
1: I think it's McFadden Whitehead, Ain't No Stopping Us Now. And it's a plight of always trying to improve things. You have a lot of work ahead of you. There's things that are going to keep you down, but you keep on moving forward. And in this climate of this political climate, things are still happening that I've seen as a youngster, and they're still happening, but you still have to keep on going. And that's what My song will be, ain't no stopping us now. We're just going to keep on going.
0: Great choice. What would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed?
1: I would like to be in performing arts. Uh, I love movies. I wish I could be an actor or maybe even broadcasting. But if I had my choice, it would be performing as an actor. That's what I would want to do because I love movies and I love acting.
0: All right. The next question is, you have 24 hours and a private plane that will take you anywhere. Where are you going?
1: Man, Jen, you are tough. I would like to go to as many places as I could go to in 24 hours, but I would love to go to Australia. I want to go to Alaska. I would love to go to Bora Bora, but there's so many things I want to do, even here in Arizona. But I like traveling. Like like being in the water. I would even want to go to Thailand. There's just so many of them. I would do every place I could go that I would want to go to in forty four hours. I'd do as many as I could.
0: All right. The bonus question is M&Ms, plane or peanut?
1: Peanuts all the way. I'm a peanut man. I have to have any chocolate. It has to have nuts in it. I can eat the chocolate, but I have to have peanuts. I got a whole bag of cashews in my room right now.
0: Good to know. So, Wesley, as we look to close the show, any last thoughts for our listeners? Where are you at on social media? Let us know.
1: I wish I was a social media guy. The only thing I really do is Facebook, because it's the only thing I know. Everybody said it's like too old. But I remember a good friend of mine, my best friend, set it up for me. And when I was going through my surgeries, was up all night I couldn't sleep and it was a good way for me to connect with people or even if you have things that you want to publicize and it's a good networking thing for me to connect with people or people I haven't seen or just in general with the fans and everything else and I have Instagram I have the Twitter I just don't know enough about it you know the Snapchat and all these other things I'm trying but my kids are a lot better at it the only thing I do is Facebook
0: All right, well, we'll have your Facebook link in the show notes so people can follow you on that platform. Wesley, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Jen. And please, you can call me anytime you want.
0: Thank you. And I appreciate that. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode. If you like today's show, once again, if you haven't already done so, hit that follow button so that you are always in the know and you never miss a future episode. And also be sure to share the show with some friends, family, colleagues, and coworkers too. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends too. Next, I want you to go to getinsidethehuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay, until next time.